Hey everybody, it's Wade here, and whoa, it's another ROA remix? One of these things that we haven't done? Yeah, iron. Hey, yeah, we're doing, I'm doing it. I'm talking about this episode here was Necessary Evil, so uh, get ready for the, the old ROA where we just like gush about how we love something. This doesn't feel right. Uh, okay, well, maybe I'll talk to you on the back end. All right. Hey Peter Allen Fields, this is a good episode I guess. Oh yeah, it has intrigue and revelations and movement and character arcs. Oh yeah, but would it have killed you to have had a silly story about Bashir flirting with girls? It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the rules of acquisition podcast where we'll be going through every single episode of star trek deep space nine which is right now my favorite show in the world it's the best show ever i like the show a lot i will just jump into it with me as always is james nolan hey hello and hugh crawford hello gentlemen and my name is wade bowen and that's right, we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're well into season two. We're talking about an episode called Necessary Evil, right? Yes, Necessary Evil. It's uh, season two, episode eight. This episode originally aired on November 14th, 1993. We are almost out of 1993. We're still in 93? Yes. We're still in 93, November 14th. Oh, the IMDb description is as follows. Odo relives some terrible and tragic memories a past investigation when he was a constable on Kardashian Kardashian <laughs> occupied Deep Space Nine, then named Tarok Noor. Yeah, so here we have a episode that this is easily one of the best episodes in my opinion. Oh, yeah. This, oh, this yeah. Season, I, I say it and, every oh, yeah. time we get to an episode I like, but this is my favorite episode. Well, here's the thing is that it is strangely ROM heavy. Uh, uh, (laughs) which I think says something about you don't like Rom? Oh, I love Rom. I love Rom and Quark. I've always advocated for more Rom. (laughs) That's true. I think we could go back through our archives. (laughs) I I think that he should have a running motif where he tries to kill his brother every. That's right. Yes. And I think this episode would have fit that a little bit, but it was a long look at the Rom's murderous love of Quark. (laughs) Right. Right. But this is a mainly a flashback episode where we have to go back into the past and uncover little bits of information about Odo initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That answers most of the early questions we had in the show. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of head scratchy conversations we had in the first seven episodes. Yeah. What's Kira's story? We harp on Kira all the time. Yeah. I asked for like a crystalline moment in Kara's past that would have shown what she had to go through and how tough she had to be to wither to withstand it. This is definitely that episode that I was looking for. Yeah. Well, and not to get into it that much, at the beginning, this episode looks to be a a primarily an Odo episode. Oh yeah. Where you think this is just going to oh, Odo you, Quark. The Kira thing is a is a third act turn. Oh right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. Actually, it's a second act. In in the second act, then you realize that Kira goes plays a factor into the story at all. It pays off on subsequent watches. I noticed after watching it a second time, it really it has a different dynamic because this episode goes full noir, full film noir. This is a total film noir episode, and it plays all the tropes of film noir. It's a Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Yes. 
Absolutely. It starts off with a Lana Turner scene. Femme fatale. The femme fatale. Yeah. Yeah, femme fatale. Yeah, yeah. Work as a Peter Lorre mm-hmm. type character. Peter Lorre gets gets murdered, and then you have... Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe, yes. Philip Marlowe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... it's. And I think this is... Uh, the first point what I would bring up is that Peter Allen Fields also was a famous ghostwriter for Columbo. Oh, really? In the 70s? Whoa. Yeah, and to the point where there's a full-on Columbo sequence. Yeah. Yeah, where he's like, one more thing, I'm just following up. I'm just, you know, <laughs> and he does the one more thing, thing that gets the, the clue... I mean, that was, yeah, so Peter Allen Fields, who, who seems to, if you look at Yeah, I was going to choose this episode to present my theory that Peter Allen Fields is the Nicholas Meyer of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> He's the best writer of any of De- Deep Space Nine. He's the guy that you want to tell the best stories. The best, the best DS- DS9 comes from Peter Allen Fields. Yeah. But he oh, yeah, maybe so. gets thwarted later on. He gets fired at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Thward. He still has more scripts to come. So if you're a Peter Allen yeah. Fields fan, keep listening. We're going to cover some more of his stuff. But yeah, yes, and they're good. But he's but he's out of the room. Yeah, at this at, at the end of the season. Okay, so Peter Allen Fields was. I imagine it's something like something. Another parallel. I read comic books. We all read comic books. I don't know if our our listeners do, but I imagine that they're okay with it. I think. <laughs> There was uh, there was a time in 1984 when Alan Moore was writing every sixth issue of Green Lantern. Really? Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I like Alan Moore, and I know we have our history talking about Alan Moore comic books and yeah. going on runs before eBay was a thing. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I didn't know this part. Yeah, I imagine that I don't read those 1983 Green Lanterns, but I assume. That it was kind of like bearable baseline shit. And then I, the Alan Moore storylines are pretty famous for being like really interesting. Some of his first, some of his first American writing and the first sort of American people sort of getting that. Oh, was this before Swamp Thing? Yeah, this was before, uh, this is right before okay, Swamp sorry. Thing. So I think that it was probably like that. It's also where he met Dave, worked with Dave Gibbons. But I imagine that reading those comic books for the first time was like these episodes. Where if you go back and look over the last few episodes that we've done, you have Progress, which was a really good script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and a really great. And then you go on and then it's a bunch of shit. And then it's Duet, which is one of the best. And Peter Allen Fields. And then you have The Circle, which is another great sort of episode. And then you and then, you know, then we go through some some not so great episodes. And now it's this. And it's like, why is this at such a much higher level than anything? It's not just a better episode than what's around it. It's so much of a better episode than what's around it. It really is. Yeah, that it's got to be like, I don't know, he was, he had to be just all of the talent in that show, in in that writer's room. Yeah, it's operating on a few different levels here, more than you could ask for for your basic, like, Star Trek television show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, so much of my favorite things are, I don't know, there's something about noir that really works for me, like, Rick, I really love that movie, and it's noir, but set in high school. But it's like it works really well. And yeah. mm-hmm. When you do, when you take other genres like a high school film or Star Trek, and then slap a noir filter over it and tell an episode that way, I just love that shit. And mm-hmm. my god, because I love this episode so much. Like I've said before, I think every mm-hmm. time I really like something, I want to say it's my favorite of the thing ever. But even just going back. I just, we go back to it, you know, it's a noir episode and it's a noir thing. It always starts with a woman. It always starts with a dame, Mm -hmm. you know, 
it opens up. It's a dark and stormy night on Bajor for some reason. And Quark is talking to a femme fatale. Oh, and, she and he's got to go do crack it. about the Cardassians. Or somebody makes a crack about the Cardassians. But like, say what you will about the Cardassians. They knew how to keep the power on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read that too. <laughs> you know, like the Nazis. They made the trains run on time. Well, that see, and that's the thing is that you, that tells you right there that somebody's already sympathetic towards, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. She's long. She's longing for the days of the Cardassian occupation. Right. She was. She tipped her hand a little bit. There is what I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she charges Quark with going to retrieve a box from the station. A pencil case with where she name. and her husband used to have a have a chemist shop. Right? right. For five bars of gold pressed latinum. Yeah. Which is the standard price for anything of everything. that you ever ask for. A card- yeah. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to know the right price for a Ferengi, just say five bars of. Press Latinum, you're, you're golden. It's the 10 grand. And then he like suggestively rubbed his ears after that conversation. Like he was hoping to get like a ear rub right. before going back up. To, and I, you know, I could have done without that. No, was that that or doesn't he have a little thing that he does when he when he agrees to do something like he does like a, I've noticed that before. Not when the when he's not begging for Umox or whatever. Yeah, but like I, I uh, think that's that what he was doing. But you think that it's a tick. Like an actor. Yeah, choice. I think it's a. Ch- well, Ferengi's grab their ears whenever anything happens. That's like them grabbing their dicks or something. <laughs> you know, but like, even uh, if you were like going, I don't know, man. I don't know how to seduce anybody, admittedly. But like, <laughs> I, I would imagine it wouldn't be like if somebody wants me to do a favor, I would just go walk up and start rubbing my dick. Yeah. But that's a, that's the equivalent of what he does at the end of that scene. Don't sell yourself short, Hugh. All right. Well, let's you not. know exactly how to seduce a Ferengi. We don't need you to go do. up and start stroking his ears and your goal. That's all you have to do. Yeah. We, we settled that like way back in that queue. Oh, that's, that's so fun. That's so. But you. The Ferengi doesn't typically start stroking their own ears to get the party started. Well, who knows? <laughs> and that's what bothers me, I guess. You got to make suggestions. Yeah. Um, so he goes there, and that's when he's there's for a long time. It's like a rom and quark comedy thing. Right. Well, they have the quark and Finn Fatale scene. They have the credit sequence, and then they jump straight into a fucking noir voiceover, which is the first time we have Odo giving full Sam Spade thing. And he's he is kind of bitchy about it. Which is fitting with his character. I, I like how he ended the log with just saying that everything was under control. So he has this long preamble about how he has to make the log. And then when he finally, the only thing about the day is just like one line about everything in the station. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He's totally passive-aggressive. He, you know, like, well, you know, this Commander Cisco says I have to make a log because these Federation types have to write everything down and they don't trust my very adequate memory. It's not good enough for them. <laughs> so, sure, I'll do what they want. Fine. Right. You know, whatever. So they they get in and they get the pencil case. It's just got the names. Oh, yeah. Though, yeah. Then, then they jump to the Rom Cork theft scene. And th- I think this is the first time that we have Idiot Savant Rom. We've had Idiot Rom. Yes, absolutely. It was mentioned in a scene where Nog says that his father is a technical genius. Right. But no one respects him. Yeah, but who cares? It's his dad. He- yeah, but I, I mean, that was so it was a setup in that sequence of why Nog wanted to do. Wait, am I? Am I imagining that episode? You might be. I don't know. No, I, no, no. I, I, no, I think that happened early in season one. Why? No, it was why does he want to, why does he want to learn to read, right? I think so. I Maybe. think you're, I think you're right on. But yeah. even him being a genius, technically still, this is the first time, like he's very good at engineering. Yeah. Maybe. But at the same time, this is the first, you know, we've, we've always had dumb ROM. Mm-hmm. Dumb ROM has always been a thing. 
this is the first time that they kind of mesh a little bit to where he's dumb Absolutely. about reading the issues, but smart about like breaking into things or, you know, yeah. oh, uh, I've learned, you know, that I've, I have a desealer rod right here to break into your safe. And Quark is very pissed off about that. And then, oh, and then we have Magnesite drops yeah. and Duranium, which is a close alloy or Duranium, I assume, alloy to Unobtainium from... <laughs> <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all of this is a setup that they're looking to get this note. And then as soon as they find it, and this is what was the first thing that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, a guy walks in who you you see earlier in the pre-credit scene as being in the room with the Lana Turner character. He comes in and just kills Quark. Basically, yeah, he totally. <laughs> and this, yeah, that's like, this is the first time in I feel like in all of Star Trek. <laughs> That he's not a red shirt that we know died. You either yeah. get shot and then just kind of stand up and go, oh, no, I'm okay. Or you die immediately. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is also the first time that I think that Bashir's actually dealt with an actual medical emergency. A lot of his <laughs> a lot of his capacity has been for research, like to go find out why, you know, something happens. You know, mm-hmm. this guy's a clone. Let me go back here and study. That he stumbles into. Either. Right. I think this is his first time actually, be it, you can actually see him in action as a doctor. Yeah. It's saving a lot. Yeah, saving yeah. somebody. Yeah. Right. In an emergency situation, which yeah. is weird because Bones was only doing emergency situations. And here we have episode eight of season two in the Star Trek Doctor Federation Doctor has his first real emergency. Yeah. Well, I think that maybe they overpowered the state of medical care probably in the next generation. Yeah, totally. Probably. They can revive anybody anywhere. We just rebuild Exactly. Them. So now this is the first time that someone was hit with a full kill phaser blast that you know you have to like actually deal with it right like a point blank kill phaser blast but usually they just vaporize immediately and without even any doctor intervention they just either get up mm-hmm. or say take me take me to sick bay please and they stumble away or else they die and they they're vapor gone. Yeah, they're yeah. gone but this time so i was actually thinking that at the time i mean i know court doesn't die but i was thinking back if you had watched it at the time would you if that actually would have been thrilling it would have been because they do it so much better like and i even noticed when that when he gets shot with the little phaser blast or whatever Mm -hmm. i don't know how they did it that well the effects for that shot they they don't just make the actor do a little oh like they usually do and fall down they do a whole effects shot where he gets blown away several feet yeah like right nowadays did they do do wire food they do wire i don't trust that they knew what how to do wire foo you know like people on cords yeah that was like a late 90s early aughts thing that was like matrix when they figured out how to do that that it was only like hong kong films doing that so i don't know what they that's true they probably didn't spend the money on that yeah i don't know what they did to get that shot but it's a great shot that they they pull him back and they shoot i'm sure they did some rack focus or something but they didn't green screen it because they're on their regular set and they i was like oh that's actually impressive because usually they just have a guy go and fall down and stand up a little bit later I, I that when he gets shot and then he's lying there, not with his eyes closed like an unconscious guy, but with like an, his eyes open like somebody who's dead. Which yeah. And then Rom runs in. Somebody's killed my brother. And it's mm-hmm. actually you think he might actually be dead. Like they pulled the rug out from underneath. Of course they didn't because it's 1993. They don't do that to their main characters who are on the credit list. But at the same time, like. That's the best, and it's the most, actually, somebody actually getting shot in the whole series. 
because most of the time people have been shot like dozens of times already on Deep Space Nine. They just fall over and oh, they're in, it's inconsequential. Right. But this feels like they may have actually killed Quark, which is yeah a big it, which is thrilling. Yeah, I yeah, would have yeah. loved that. I would have absolutely loved that they had done that. Yeah, and impressive that they can make you think that with their main characters. You can actually get through this sort of idea that like you could go through a period where it was this is Rom's period. Rom takes over the bar, and for a season or two, Rom is the main character, and then he brings on a, a secondary, and then that Rom is killed off. If there was a revolving Ferengi, yeah, Ferengi presence in the bar. Oh, that would have been that would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been fun. You would have had yeah. these different eras, and then how they got killed would have been interesting. Yeah, and then they go straight to the, the interrogation scene. Yeah. After Bashir drags him off to the, like, oh, no, no, we got to get him into surgery. And then Cisco and Odo do the best fucking good cop, good bad cop. cop. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, I love that they don't even bother to set it up that they're doing no, that. No, no. They don't it, just as go. an audience member, you take it takes a second for you to, to realize what they're doing without even Because, yeah, that when I was first watching it and Cisco started coming to the fits, he's my, he's a, his son is a friend of my boys. And I'm like, wait, he's already trying to kill his brother, Cisco. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and, I, and then I was like, and then I felt like a goober. I'm <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, oh my god, god. oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cisco is totally being good. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I was got, you, yeah, you got me, Cisco. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, the 139th rule of acquisition, which is, oh, yeah. Wives serve, brothers inherit. Brothers inherit. I had to write that down. Yeah. Uh, Odo, uh, that was the first time that we've been delivered by a non Ferengi. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Odo. And it's interesting to me that Odo knows that. He's been reading. You, you get the feeling that Odo knows them all. He's been reading up on it. His- he probably does. He's got a good memory. Yeah. And, and also, I like, the speaking of idiot savant rom he's a smart guy this is the first time because the whole time he's been sniveling like no 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 i only learned how to do these things because i'm your brother and i love you and you were gone sometimes and then sometimes i Mm -hmm. you know sometimes i had to reach into open the things when you weren't there or whatever and then uh but then when when they start playing good cop bad cop on him he's like uh wives serve brothers inherit and then odo being bad cop says i don't think you're as stupid as you make out to be and then rom's like no 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 i am too. I'm exactly that <laughs> stupid, yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah 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 and then cisco comes in holding his hand to his chest being classic avery brooks overacting a little to an extent but it's not overacting because it's delightful yes <laughs> you had to make a person yeah so then we get the going they go to the storeroom and that elicits our first transition into the past Yes. And you get surprised Goldicott. Yeah. They just open yeah, a right. door and walk through. And then Goldicott's there. Right. But I have to say, all of these transitions into the pre-Federation Tarak Noir, I wish the show was set in this era. It's lit. It's lit, interestingly. Oh, yeah. Right. Because, you know, the show has this bland, typical TV lighting, 80s, 90s, bland wash lighting. Oh, yeah. But Tarak Noir, which is in the same scenes, Quark's bar, Odo's office, all of the scenes are set in the same places. Oh, it's... But it's lit so interestingly. It's wonderful. It's, yeah. I, I assume it's because they sold it as a noir episode, so we're going to have dark lighting, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's all blue lights, and you know, it's like it's dark and everything. But yeah, it looks like Blade Runner. It's amazing. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're working in the same sets, but the, they get such good tone. Yeah. That's why I stand by my, this might be my favorite episode, because it does what it's doing so well. And I love noir stuff. Yeah, and it's got a lot of sort of modern, it pushes that boundary. Just on like things like set lighting, the difference in that I was noticing is that like now you have these, there's a lot of shows that 
everything takes place on one set. Yeah. We, we've been talking about it off screen, but like West Wing was a show that all took place in the West Wing and these small little offices and corridors in the Oval Office. And so they lit it really interestingly with all of these different tones so that it wasn't just bland. Yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like a sitcom taking place in just a bunch of mauve rooms, uh, which is probably what the West Wing is mm-hmm. in real life. But they said it in these ways where Toby's office feels different than who, you know, and everybody's office has a feel and a different tone. and It's lit within an inch of its life. And that's how modern TV makes a show seem more cinematic. Breaking Bad, obviously, was cinematographied out its ass. And that was the first time that you see that they got, even Michael Piller was even commenting that they were really happy that the director of the episode, I believe his name's James Conway. Yep, that's right. Pushed to get great lighting. Pushed all of the DPs on the show to light it in this really interesting way. And so he finally got it. And it was the first visually interesting setting on this show, I feel. It really is. And then the costumes are great. We've got Odo in a robe that's almost like a trench coat, like a noir thing. Yeah, it's got that high collar. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty cool. And then we have Gold Ducat in his element as the commander of Turek Noir. Yeah. So Goldicott is called Odo out to figure out a murder that is taking place in Tarek Noir. That murder was the husband of the Lana Turner character. Yeah, Vatrick. Vatrick, uh, yeah. Mrs. Vatrick, I guess. Yeah, there's Mrs. Vatrick, and then they refer to them interchangeably in the episode, which makes it confusing. <laughs> there's the body Vatrick, the dead man, and he wants Odo to investigate that because he believes that he's an impartial observer. And and it's kind of weird. Odo doesn't know why he's commissioned. Odo's never been used like that before. He's not like a police officer. Yeah, this whole thing sets up Odo's character so well mm-hmm. of why he's the best investigator and why he why he's good at a job yeah. and seeing things because he's been trying to pretend to be a humanoid for so long. So he notices things people don't. And he's an outsider, so he doesn't have a side or another. Yeah. So he eventually, I guess, agrees because he feels like he doesn't have anything. And it turns out that basically the rest of the episode is what happened in this murder and how does it inform what happened to Quark. Real quick, I want to get in. It also is a really good character moment for Goldicott. It totally is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because every time he does something like this, he always likes to paint himself as a uh, really a softy at heart. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have his people come in and kill random Kardashians, but doing it this way is quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having Odo do it is a more humane way mm-hmm. of dealing with the situation. And he always likes to set things up that he's on the side of doing things uh, humane and like yeah. civilized way yeah when he's, he's really not that's, that's yeah, his yeah. favorite cover he's done this over and over remember whenever he returned when he didn't start a war when kira went and got that one uh yeah freedom you know he made it seem like oh what a terrible thing we didn't know yeah oh by our bad <laughs> formal apology yeah yeah he always he always wants to seem like a humanitarian yeah and he can read people so well i was just gonna say more than anything gold Ducat, more than any other villain in star trek up to this point and probably ever gold Ducat is the hero of his own story totally yeah yeah oh, most definitely. <laughs> and he can read people so well he saw like odo when he was doing the cardassian neck trick for bajorans or whatever oh, yeah and he's, he's like you know what I saw you, and then I heard that you walked out on your Bajoran keepers. So I could, I I have decided that you would be a great investigator. So I'm going to 
have you do it. He was also solving, it seems like Bajorans were flocking to him to solve like these little small interpersonal disputes. Right, right, right. That's the thing. He was already serving as like a small claims court, right. which leads, set, tees up a great Dukat line where he goes, I guess they look at me as a, a neutral observer. And he goes, because you're not one of them. Yeah. And he says, and aren't you glad of that or something like Aren't you glad you're, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. he's a Nazi. He's a racist. He's a racist. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and Odo, he, I mean, he can't scare or intimidate Odo. He still kind of does, though. Like, I feel like... Well, yeah, well... Doesn't. When they bring him no, in, the, ultimately, him. you're right. Ultimately, he does. He, but I think yeah. it was getting Aldo up to that point. And he, he even says, "You're not even scared of me." That's one of the things that impresses right. him. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, Renee Abergenois is doing such a great job of playing the differences between Odo in the quote unquote present when we know him and in the flashback mm-hmm. he's in his badass like robes yeah and he's also just like looking down and, and subservient like it's like you know I, I don't want to be here oh i'm not going to work for you but i i realize that you're the ones in power and just the, the you know everybody i'll say not just odo everybody we know from the main cast who has this flashback in this episode is doing a fucking amazing job yeah and their differences in how they play their characters and we're about to see a new one because almost as soon as he gets out and starts the investigation he be he interviews with the wife right we've seen already and she's saying that he's been having a long affair over the last couple of weeks right right with this girl and points to her and goes that girl right there and the camera turns <laughs> right there <laughs> a lesser rider in that situation because we've had all these characters would have said uh-huh written it as like oh you were he was having an affair who was he having an affair with and a lesser writer would have said i know who it is her name is blank yeah yeah but no peter allen fields who is the best says i don't know her name but i can point her out to yeah you. so they have a whole other two minute or 30 seconds at least probably a minute at least scene where they have to walk over to point out to who <laughs> The woman she's her husband's having an affair with is. She points over and it's, it's Kira Norris. It's Kira Norris. Yeah, lesser writer. Yes, her name is Kira Norris. It's like, no, that doesn't do that. They just point over there. And so, yeah, no, it's uh, and she looks different. She, she's got she's long got, hair. She's got a wig on, a good wig, but yeah, it is a good wig. And then, yeah. and then we have a commercial break because <laughs> they know what they're doing, they're not good. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna make that paper. Yeah, yeah. So they know how to, they know how to write a five act structure out of a three act. Yeah. So he walk Odo, Odo walks over to her. They start having this sort of interesting back and forth. She says that the old man had you know basically she's saying she's innocent. She was there to look for a job at Quarks, and because it was a no questions asked sort of situation, she thinks Odo's propositioning her for sex. There's a lot of like hidden sex yeah that really makes it is. extra noir is there's lots of sexual themes like sexual suggestions all throughout the whole episode and that's one of them where she assumes that i guess you know bajoran women are treated poorly in this culture right and and she's one of and the kardashians are kind of horny for him because yeah. even back in the circle was that the, the was it the where she was playing like a prostitute yeah yeah, yeah like where she was in an internment camp and they're the apparently kardashians like the fuck bajorans or something or yeah whatever so, and that was a reoccurrence of that. And, and through that, you get, it's a really great sort of opening scene. You're watching the first time Kira and Odo have talked. Yeah, yeah. And up until this point, I feel like this show has always been like this, telling me that Kira and Odo have a strong bond without me actually having seen it. Right. Or yeah. sort of understand the concept, like the tones of it and, the, and what kind of relationship they have. This is the first time where you get to see this first 
their first sort of occurrences together. And that it really, it's a joy in that way. It's just from a storytelling perspective. I now know these characters enough that I, it's past time that we explore their history. And so it's great, finally, that we're getting to do that. So they have this really great little scene and back and forth. And she tells him that she's trying to work at Quark's and that she couldn't have killed the guy. He's been trying to impress her, she says. And he may have wanted to fuck her, but it never got to that. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say, like, given the noir structure of this whole episode, it really... On repeated viewings, mm-hmm. like we've shit on Nana, Nana Visitor. She does a great job. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. She's 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 great in this episode. Yeah, like, and you know, like, yeah, she there's has different, you notice different things on a rewatch that the actor was doing that knew, the actor knew that you don't know on the first watch. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, so Odo goes to Quark's to back up the alibi. And it turns out that uh, what Quark said that she was there and she was giving him a blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After after Kara has already set up, yeah. I don't do that. Yes. When Odo sits down, like, no, I'm not going to fuck you. Fuck you. I don't do that for money or food or anything. And then he goes to Quark to figure out her alibi. And he's like, oh, yeah, she showed me a good time, basically. Yeah. And that she was giving him a yeah, she was giving him a, uh, a blowjob for a job. Or she was rubbing, his, she was jacking off his ears or whatever. Yeah, or what? You know, whatever. It was, it was sex. Whatever it was. Yeah, it was definitely sex. And that was a weird thing where it was ultimately like showing Kira as sort of. I mean, I know it was all in context, and ultimately she comes out pretty chaste from from all of this. Well, except for no, not really. But you know, it was showing a major character on a Star Star Trek show as really sexually pliant for what I would imagine is nineteen ninety three television. Right. Where she's she's trading all of these sex for favors, or she's existing in a world where she's trading. She's accused of having an affair, which she could be lying about or not. And then she's she says, "Go to Quark; he'll back up my story." Quark says she's having sex with him. So there's all of these different. Well, yeah, and then I know it all turns out as a smoke. I don't think Kira is ever on board with any of that. No, I thought she doesn't she, know the alibi Quark's giving for her. I thought she worked it out with him. Well, she knew. She, no, she I paid, think this is the first time. This is she, she paid, paid for an alibi. She didn't pay for that alibi. Well, yeah, that's true. I that's guess. the way I read it because she has such a strong. As soon as Odo sits down, she's like, she's about to punch him in the face. And then also Odo's amazing detective skills. Yeah, like one, he notices that Vatrick's wife, her tear ducts weren't swelled, so she wasn't crying. Yeah. And then he notices, no, you did not work in the mines, Kira Nerys, because your hands are great. It's like, okay, you're right. I worked on a reclamation plant. Oh, why did you get fired from the reclamation plant? Oh, because the guy tried what you tried when you sat down, or I thought he did, that he was trying to fuck me, and then I punched him. Yeah. Which, yeah. So all of that stuff is great. It also uh, highlights, because uh, Quark is trying to tempt Odo, first with alcohol, and second with, uh, whores. with food, food, and then whores. And the look yeah. on Odo's face, also, it's sort of set up the, the theme throughout the show, which is, uh, I mean, they dealt with it before, specifically in The Forsaken, but that Odo is somewhat sexually isolated. Yeah, yeah. And that's a part of his character. And uh, I mean, that's and that, that was a scene where they sort of set that up, so... Right, right. I liked that was a loaded and interesting scene for Star Trek and how much subtext was and not I mean yeah. text and subtext yeah, yeah, was, totally. was pretty was pretty adult. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patrick even asked him like, why do men act this way? He's like, 
Honestly, lady, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about the the alibi gets busted, and Golducott is pretty happy with Odo's progress, but wants to know specifics well, about. No, we we had the his first encounter with Kira, and then we jump back to. We're talking about the alibi being broken, though, right? Or he gets the information yeah, in out the of court. It's in the Clark scene that it's broken. What, Kira's alibi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was like a few scenes ahead. I thought. No. Because then you have the, like, the hypno... No, no, no. You have the hypno-regression therapy with Rom to remember Chesaro. That's how he breaks the alibi. Chesso. Oh, and the future storyline. Because, yeah, then you have... Well, yeah, maybe you're right. I can't remember. No, I think it's broken in that scene, and then you go back to the future. Mm Mm-hmm. And then then it's the quark, and then the the (laughs) hypno-regression scene, and the, the name of Chesso comes up. Yeah, and then Kira comes in and says... Oh, my, my contacts might know that name or something, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, well, then Kira gives a, a nice dual layered performance talking about how Odo helped her out back then. And she says, I would have been executed. She gives him a look and he's like, well, you were innocent. And then she says, like, the Cardassians didn't make a difference about that. It wouldn't have mattered to the Cardassians. And then she says, well, you were innocent of the crime you, you were accused of. Yeah, yeah. And then it's she good. says, it wouldn't have mattered to the Cardassians. And, and then Odo says, well, it mattered to me because he's yeah. the guy that cares about justice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So then he goes on and after he gets the name, he, he goes back to the Lana Turner character, Vatrick, Mrs. Vatrick, and reads her a name. And then does the Columbo thing, noticing that her money, right, right. she's got some, she's come into money. He's noticed that. And then he goes to Quark before that. Uh, and then Quark turns it back on Odo like, well, why did the cut ask you to do this? And then it brings up more questions. Right? No. Quark is dead. No, in the flashback. Or die, or in, the, in the flashback. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's it's just noir plot. It gets so convoluted. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't really matter the order, but all that shit did happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but basically, so it turns out that the people that are being that are on the list and are now being currently being killed off because mm-hmm. it turns out that as soon as Akira comes back, she's like, "Oh, I figured out who the Chesso was. It was really this guy named Cesario, and he was probably a war collaborator, and he was just killed last night." Which sort of puts sort of a quick clock on the whole investigation because yeah, yeah. everybody on this list could be getting killed. Right. So and Odo, then Odo immediately oh. realizes why he got killed because oh. It's because I mentioned it to this woman last night. Yeah, so he starts putting her on strong investigation. Yeah. And he goes on, and then at some point, and I can't remember what, it sort of stops and it just looks at Odo's face like he's realized something. Mm-hmm. And then, like, th- that was some good acting, and then he sort of, at that point, sort of realizes what we, what the ultimate reveal of the show is. But at that point, it goes back to the past, and he's interviewing Kira about her broken alibi. Right. So we go back, back to the past. And in that, that's when they, she breaks down further and basically admits that she was on Deep Space Nine to create some sabotage. Right. She and that was a, really yeah, her alibi. She is a rebel. She's a terrorist. Yeah. She was, and then she has the. Which we all knew at this point. We so all, we all knew, knew yeah. this at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's in there. Yeah, and Well, we always say that, that Kira has seen. She's been, been in the in shit. shit. And, and, <laughs> and we is, finally have and now, proof that she's been in the shit. Have and then also, you know, we can even forgive her for that time when they found Goldicott's records and she was not worth even noticing. And everybody was laughing at her because everybody was like, oh, oh, oh. she thought she was hot shit. But Goldicott realizes that she wasn't anything. She wasn't a threat to anybody. He just thought she was a minor nuisance. She's going to be upset because she was 
not as hot shit as she thinks she is. But it turns out, Goldcott just didn't know what she had done. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. It, yeah, she was yeah. good at her she job. Was, <laughs> I mean, if she was... She was underground. If yeah, she was yeah. on his radar... Yeah, well, they say uh, famous, good pirates, the difference between pirates which and is smuggle. A, which is a big reveal, because because up, up until this point, I just assumed that Goldcott was right, because she was not getting as great a performance back then. And I thought, yeah, of course she was a shitty terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, yeah, but no, so it goes, uh, so, like, she's saying that he does Odo to his own satisfaction, does research whether there was sabotage that night on the ship, and she knows a lot about when and where it happened, so that all sort of meshes, so it looks to Odo like she committed sabotage, she was there to fuck with Cardassians, and that is an alibi for the murder, which is he's there to really solve. So around this moment, Goldacott walks in and goes, is this the woman, and sort of trying to force Odo's hand to, to give him a, a... Give him a name. Yeah, yeah. a suspect, yeah. And and he says, he backs her up and he goes, no, she did not, she did not kill. She And he goes, you believe her? And he goes, yes. Yes. And the whole time, when she tells him a not quite truth, it's a really good shot and staging. He's behind her. She's looking forward. She does not look him in the eyes, which yeah. I just thought was a good directorial choice, mm-hmm. but whatever. Then Odo, it goes to the future Odo of giving this really good speech about justice oh, yeah. and about how like he's he's got such a strong justice trick is what he calls it, I believe. Right. The justice trick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's another voice. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes into this whole little thing. Maybe it's a racial memory from my people. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe all of the all of these shapeshifters are heavily justice oriented, which is a seed for they're starting to throw seeds now, which they we debated on whether they were. Well, also, it's like they have to remind you. You know, they haven't played the shapeshifter, uh, a man alone card yeah. in a long time in the series. So they have to remind you that yeah. that Odo doesn't mm-hmm. know where he came from. Yeah. And that's one storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, way of doing it. And they play that. it so w- well. But it also tips the hand for later, yes. They play it so well this episode. Like, oh, I that's why he's good at investigating. He has to learn what humanoids are like. He can be impartial because he's not one of them. And it's the justice trick he says in his voiceover, like a full noir voiceover. Like, is it a racial memory? Is it a clue? I don't care. But anyway, it was great. Yeah, and so that is the moment that Odo realizes everything. Yeah. If you go back when you watch it the second time, he does a full. I'm not. He's a good actor. He doesn't play it like a little light bulb went off in his head. But that's exactly what it what it was going on in that scene, and it was really subtle. But it was a scene where he figures everything out. But then I think this is when we get to the comedy scene of Quark getting, of Quark getting murdered, re-murdered, where the <laughs> Johnny Ola sneaks into <laughs> and sneaks in to, to put the pillow over uh, Quark's head. And oh yeah, yeah. And then Rom wanders in, and the Ferengi defense mechanism is just a scream. Ah! Yes. Ah! Ah! So he does this ridiculous like comedy laugh. System. He does this ridiculous comedy laugh. Ah! And, and ah, that brings everybody ah, in. and uh, It's really obnoxious. Yes. Ah, ah. It's super obnoxious. <laughs> ah. Sorry. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, so they bring everybody in. So they were able to sort of save Quark at the last minute. Thanks to Rom's obnoxious. <laughs> you want to do it? Ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I, I apologize to everyone. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's the first. I feel like it's the first stabbing we have pre-Klingon. <laughs> so yeah because the guy comes in 
because he can't will the phaser apparently to get it past the systems, he stabs the Bajoran guy in sickbay. Yes. And then Rom screams, ah, ah, And then Odo I, says, I'm, I'm so sorry. Odo says, uh, well, Rob, you saved your brother's life. I guess you won't be getting that bar after all. And to which, yeah. um, oh, and then it clicks like that he yeah. fucked up. That he fucked up. That his, I actually like that his instinct is to save his brother's life, even though none of his self-interest is in keeping his brother alive. Right. So as soon as he realizes that, he makes the shrieking sound again. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I I apologize again. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. But I did love that bit of uh, comic relief, and I love that I love that alien psychology for Ferengis. Yeah. That they would have that duality, and and also that they have that defense mechanism is that then just screaming because Rom's already done it in earlier. I mean, Quark has already done that earlier on mm-hmm. in that three episode opener for the season. They already showed that when Ferengis are in distress, they just scream and in the most annoying fashion possible. Which is a, I mean, which is a sensible evolutionary trait. You know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that makes sense. That's a perfectly yeah. Oh, yeah, that 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 actually doesn't bother me as much as evolutionary some of the other, traits. Like, yeah. No traits. Yeah, that some of the aliens have right or lack of evolutionary traits. That's one of my favorite thing about the Ferengis. That actually makes, that one makes sense. Finally, something makes sense from an <laughs> evolutionary perspective with an alien in Star Trek. Yes, that, that's a defense. But every right. other yeah, other animal species have that. So you immediately, basically, they're wrapping it up pretty quick after this point. They catch the guy. They realize that the guy's had contact with the Londa Kerner character. They go back to Bajor to arrest her. She's there. She's a, She makes like a half-assed defense. I don't know that guy, and I don't know why you're arresting me. And, and Odo lays out all of the evidence he's acquired off screen, which is pretty damning. And then she gets in a cell, and she turns to Odo, and she goes, I don't care how much evidence you have. I never killed. You'll never find evidence that I killed my husband because I didn't. And which Odo looks at her, and he goes, I know. Yeah. And then... uh. You see Kira's face do like a double take. Like, yeah, she she, yeah, she, she does a full double take at, at Odo, and it's revealed that Kira killed the guy. Yeah, and he and he knew and he's known that for a couple of scenes now. Yeah, and they have an amazing scene together. The scene that follows It's just really good writing. Yeah, it's classic Peter Allen <laughs> Fields ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really great. Where she says, "You knew when? How long have you known?" and and he says, I figured it out, like, you know, two scenes ago. And she- <laughs> yeah, as soon as you said Cesaro, yeah. I knew that your contacts that you quoted knew about him would only know that if he were a collaborator. Yeah. Therefore, you killed the collaborator because you were a terrorist. His wife was getting a sweet deal out of the collaborator. She likes the money and the private quarters. She would not have killed her husband for that deal. You would have because you were fighting the Cardassians. Yeah. And she goes, it's basically, she says a story that her job wasn't to kill the guy. Her job was to steal the pencil case with the names behind the panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she got caught and in self-defense ended up killing him. Yeah. And it makes sense why she infiltrated as a woman who was seducing Patrick. Sure. Sure. Because how is he? And then he goes, why didn't you tell me? Or why, you know, you know, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And she goes, well, I, I've grown to respect you so much that I, I, I did, I didn't. You know, basically, I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose our friendship that we had. Right. It was like, well, it was first she says you were working for the Cardassians. Yeah. She's like, well, I haven't been working for the Cardassians for over a year now. Yeah. And then she's like, well, you're my friend. I wanted you to, you know, respect me still. Or he whatever. says I haven't been working for the Cardassians for all of 1993. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. 
yeah, so she and then yeah. she says, "Will you ever be able to trust me again?" I forget. And then they just leave that classic Peter Allen Fields ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> because she was a much better liar. You're a much better liar than I thought you were, is what he said. Yeah. And we've already established how great Odo is at reading people mm-hmm. with whether people have been crying or not because their glands aren't swollen or not. Yeah. Like, so he is a masterful reader of that shit. Yeah. And he's got a blind, that he had some sort of blind and spot. She, she fooled him. And I think that it's this sort of the start of a. Yeah. Of a, yeah. I was going to say, I, I think this is the yeah, start of their the relationship. Is, yeah. yeah. The ship, shippers yeah, are well, coming on board to the Odo and Kira sort of thing. Right, so right. that's. Boo. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a thing. But nonetheless, it sort of starts in this scene in this episode. But nonetheless, it was also damn satisfying. It was at the end of this when I realized that Peter Allen Fields has wrote all of the Kira, the great Kira episodes from Progress to Duet to Circle to this. Yeah, uh, well, like he kind of owns it's, her. It's when you realize he he's written all of the great episodes so far. Like whether or not they're Kira episodes. Right? Yeah, that's true. He writes in the pale moonlight, which didn't have didn't have Kira in it at all. I don't think. Right. Well, even up until but, now, he wrote Dax, which was also with one of the great Star Trek writers. DC Fontana. DC yeah, Fontana, yeah. yeah. And he, but he wrote the screenplay for that, which is all right, which is okay. As for a Dax episode, it's pretty great. And then he wrote, you know, all the best ones up until then. And yeah, he's like in his 80s at this point. Holy smokes. At some point, I need to find a place to point out that this script was actually ruined. Rick Berman saw the finished episode and cut a vital scene from it that no one's seen. Ever? No one's ever seen this scene. But it takes place right after Odo has let Kira go and saying that he thinks she's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. He goes and follows Dukat. Odo does, in the past, and finds Dukat that goes to the Lana Turner character, the, the wife, yeah, yeah. room, and, and fucks her. Whoa. Whoa. Yes, yes. They're having a long-term affair. He, you see in the show, you see Goldicott leave and give her like a post-coital, like, you know, like a clearly we fucked kiss. Oh my God. That was murdered and Rick Berman made that decision backed by Ira Bear. Really? And Mike, Michael Piller was the only guy who's went on record as saying, he says, Necessary Evil is one of our best shows we did and we've still killed it. We still murdered it. It could have been better. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because it has a much more complete storyline, if you think about it. And it has this sort of, because there's all these questions asked. Why does Gul Dukat want Odo to do the investigation? Why is Gul Dukat, why isn't the, why isn't Gul Dukat more interested in killing the wife? Why isn't, like, there's all of these sort of in, interesting storylines. Wow. And why is Odo allowed to just drop it? Wow. Because it's Odo so, says at one point that he's never closed this case. Yeah. Yes. But he got to stay on, like, they didn't ship him off. Goldicott didn't start just murdering Bajorans to find, the case just ended. And I, you have to think that Gold, that Odo just says all evidence pointed towards the wife. And Goldicott dropped it. Wow. Wow. Okay, that is amazing. And it's the introduction to Goldicott likes to fuck but All right, well, yeah, it does. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Well, that's a huge reveal. <laughs> like, Yeah, so, yeah, Peter Allen Fields is the best thing that happened. And this episode is the my favorite episode because of that. But apparently he got... He got shut down because of other assholes. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and it's, so it's a much more interesting thing, and it's why Odo sort of assumes that she was the murderer, 
and Ducat was probably in on it, and that it was better play just to, to play close to the vest and keep Kira away from the Cardassians and all of that stuff. So, I mean, all of that was fed into the story, and it was a very noir turn mm-hmm. for the story. I mean, that that particularly is a very Philip Marlowe sort of turn. And yeah, it was it was frustrating to Michael Piller, who was the showrunner that Rick Berman cut it. I believe that Ira Bear's either enforcement or suggestion that Ira Stephen Bear he likes the he speaks well of the episode, but he always speaks about how well it's directed. I think there was just some issues with you know I think that Ira Stephen Bear is a hack, mm-hmm. but there is there's some things like that I don't understand what was going on in the writers' room where you have such a clearly great writer as Peter Allen Fields, and you, I don't know if he just didn't play well, I don't know if he was not fun to hang out with, or if he was a total, you know, just a a caustic person, I don't know, but it's... It could be just because, you know, this is a really, he's a really strong, opinionated guy who probably doesn't want to see a whole lot of changes made, and maybe, I don't know, I can only imagine when you're, if you've got that kind of resume Mm -hmm. over that many years... You've done so much work, and then these little piss ant guys who were doing spec scripts, you know, two years ago for Next Generation, yeah. want to do all sorts of other stuff. Then you know he probably isn't the most cuddly guy. I can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I still stand on Peter Allen Field's side the whole oh, time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're all on the on the side of of quality, talent. Oh, you always got a side on talent, right? Yeah. Right. Because I looked into this, so you were saying that Iris Stephen Bear was the one that was against the extra thing and then kicked him out. My, well, well, Rick Berman was the, it was Rick Berman's call. And Michael Piller said that it was Rick Berman's call and it was a mistake. And he said it's the, the biggest mistake that Michael Piller has seen Rick Berman make on this show. Wow. Uh-huh. So I don't know if it was all out of because I don't know how much I don't know why Rick Berman would cut the scene either. Well, the other thing of the the total unsubstantiated internet rumors that I found about Peter Allen Fields were that at the end of the season two, when Iris Stephen Bear came on as a full showrunner, mm-hmm. he forced Peter Allen Fields out of the writers' room. Yeah. So. I don't know. It could have been that he was really old. Yeah, he was like 81 at that point. So it's, of course, he needed. Yeah, and he did continue. He did continue to write for the show. Yeah. He wrote some great scripts. Yeah. But he was out of the room and he wasn't shaping. He wasn't breaking scripts. Right. He was writing finished screenplays, one of which with Michael Piller, one of them that's left. And then one of them is the best Deep Space Nine episode ever. And probably, probably just pure on the page. Like no one else helps come up with a story or anything like that mm-hmm. so i yeah i mean i think that we're going to talk as this podcast goes on and the seasons go on we're going to talk a lot about ronald d moore and robert hewitt but really peter allen fields is kind of where it was at you know yeah he kind of like he's the best and this shows why he's the best and why he has the capacity to not just he's not it's not original i mean we're talking about how noir no yeah it's not an original script at all right it's just it's doing its thing really, really well. well. That's what yeah. Wade said at the mm-hmm. top. Yeah. It's like you're he. And maybe that's what the show needed at this point was to do like choose one thing at the outset yeah. and do it really well. I mean, I think we've had a couple episodes where I've said I don't know understand what the thesis of this episode <laughs> is supposed to be. Yeah. This this episode understood what it was supposed to be and like executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On that note, what do you guys think? You guys would have anything to change? You guys got a Monday morning quarterback this one that much? I, 
I got kind of a big one. Okay, well, I don't have anything I would change until oh, really? Until James brought in <laughs> Leaving that, that script. Peter Ireland Fields had a scene cut by Iris Stephen Bear. Uh-huh. I, I was, I'm, you know, I was fully on board to be the counterpoint to James's Iris Stephen Bear as a hack. But I love Peter Allen Fields so much. So if he, if he, if he's the one that kicked out Iris Stephen Bear or cut his extra scene, I'm like, oh, I, I think th- I he backed it up. I mean, I think that there was a feeling that he backed it up, but I don't know. But yeah, I, it makes a sense. It sounds like something that Rick Berman would have cut. Yeah, would have learned about him. Yeah, the thing I would change is that I would I would make it to work. Kira didn't kill him in self-defense. And she just looks Odo in the face and she goes, I had a mission mm. to kill a war collaborator and I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm I was a soldier. I was a soldier in a counterinsurgency taking over murderous genocidal maniacs. I killed a guy. This is the first time that we have the same thing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You would have said that too? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I killed a lot of people. He was nothing to me. I killed a lot of people. Yeah. And whenever, actually, didn't think it was that big of a thing. But if, so whenever you said I have a big thing, I thought you had something different. So I'm. No, no. I guess this is going to be a short segment <laughs> because that was, that was exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, I don't think it was war. She was a rebel. Mm-hmm. There, they didn't need to sugarcoat it. Yeah, I, I felt like they were sugarcoating it for some sort of like, I don't know, we don't need to have her be some sort of Pollyannish rebel, you know? Yeah, they didn't want to show her as a cold-blooded killer, but she could. She was a soldier, you know? Yeah. And she could say, she could give that a few good men lines. She could say, you know, when they, when Vatrick died, I saved Bajoran lives. <laughs> Bajorans oh. are alive because he died, and that's the hard truth of it, and I don't feel bad about it. I feel bad about lying to you. She could have said that, you know. That works for me. Yeah. I think by making it, it mealy mouths it a little bit. And I think. Mealy mouth. Yeah. And yep. I think that you get like this sort of, there's this sort of revelation when the show lets you know that she did it and they let it linger there without a defense for a little bit. And you're just kind of like, oh yeah, no, Kara was a badass. Mm-hmm. Kara got the job done. And now, now she's different. You know, now she's got a different job. It's a different time. I don't know why the show didn't just do that. <laughs> yeah. I wish it had. Well, I'm glad that we don't have a lot of things to change about it because as these episodes have gotten better, we've talked about them longer. And yes, we want to revel in them. Well, what do you guys think this is on the IMDb star scale? Ooh. We have, this is episode eight, season two. We have 598 people have voted on this particular episode, which is about 30 more people than the average for the season. So what do you, what do you guys think we're at out of 10? 7.9. I'll go at eight. I'll do eight. Both of you, 8.2. Neither one of you got it. It's 8.2. Nice. Oh, we yeah. both still underballed it. That was over duet. You guys lowballed it. Yeah. Yes. This is a... This is a well, b- yeah. After season one, I thought people were lowballing it. But you know what? You're right. People lowball season one because <laughs> season one sucks. But people are coming in to rate these things across the whole board of right. the whole series. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that season one's going to be lower because Absolutely. everybody hates season one and season two, honestly. Mm. If you go back and look up what the nerds say about Deep Space Nine, they'll say, don't even start watching till season three. That's ridiculous. This season's inconsistent, but it's pretty good. Yeah, they're wrong. Yeah. There's like two or three episodes in season one that are pretty great, pretty good. I don't know how great they are. Like, yeah, you'd miss Duet. You'd miss Duet. You'd miss In the Hands of the Prophets, which yeah. is an informative episode about the whole mythos, if not. Right, right. So, yeah, no, they're fucked in. They're wrong. Duet stands up above all the other ones. I feel like the other ones, maybe I'm misguided because I'm only watching the first two seasons so far recently. Yeah. Like, 
like maybe I forgot how great it gets better, which I'm willing to do. Sure. I'm I'm sure that I will say at the end of it all, when we're through seven seasons and I've watched every episode twice and talked about it for an hour on a podcast and I make a top 10, I'm pretty sure Duet will still be on the top 10. Yeah, yeah. Right. And probably Necessary Evil will be too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. I I definitely think we have, we've already had two out of the 10 top 10 with Necessary Evil and Duet. Yeah. One of the one of the comments on the IMDb description is uh, this person took the time to write I don't know like a thousand words on this particular episode. <laughs> well, we don't need all of them. <laughs> no, no, I'm just gonna let you know. But the title of this thousand word review is Catherine Moffat is Bajoran Eye Candy, and then it gave it all the stars. <laughs> and it was written September second, two thousand thirteen. So somebody, it's written by a guy that she dated in high school, <laughs> isn't it? Is that Patrick's wife? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Is Bajoran eye candy is a phrase that I I haven't we don't use enough. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I hope I never see again. Yeah. <laughs> There's a quote from Mark Alimo that said that his favorite thing he did on Deep Space Nine is there was a day he went, it was the cut scene, but it was a day I went to work and just kissed Catherine Moffat all day. <laughs> so, I wanted to see like, that scene. All right. All right. Yes. All right. Put everything down. I am full in full support of the DS9 blu-ray remakes that everybody's been arguing for on the internet i want the remakes i want the additional scenes with the mark alimo alimo sex scenes kissing or the episode called necessary evil can we get that done yes yes i i will even buy it for Mm -hmm. that i will yeah so now this has been pretty good the next episode is a is a cisco episode finally Right. Where he is, no, yes, yeah. where he is. I watched the next episode. Yeah, he's feeling melancholy over the four-year anniversary of his wife's death. Well, that's... And he starts seeing, yeah, okay. like an apparition or something. Yeah, so. it is not my favorite episode. Okay. I did. I have not seen it. I watched like five. We'll get into it, won't we, gentlemen? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. All right, well, is that it for this? Is that it for this week? I believe so. I think so. All right, well, three to beam out, then I suppose. Uh, all right, see you next week. That was a good one. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, So that was Necessary Evil. Wow. Okay. Uh, Let the Peter Allen Fields love fest begin, I guess. This is a weird one to listen to. Uh, Yeah. And I hope you're okay with all this. A little bit of peaking there. Are we peaking? Uh, a little, little bit of the levels. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna talk about the sound on this one, but um, except I just did. Yeah, the the Nick Meyer of uh, DS9. Everybody, boy, do we love some this. It's weird to listen to this episode where we're just so excited and like just gushing and it's like is this are we you know i feel like wow we i don't know in the five years since we recorded this episode it's just a oh the the gen x in me (laughs) is just embarrassed by how uh you know sincere i was and and effusive oh feel uh but yeah whatever I love noir, guys. Yeah, just listening to myself. I get it. I like noir. Noir, and my delivery is different, but, hey, you know, you you hear yourself on a recording and you cringe a little bit. Well, that just happened to me. Finally, after all these years of podcasting, 
I finally made myself cringe. No, that happens all the time. Uh, yep. Are y'all okay with comic books? Because <laughs> we get into the, you know, like that's something that we often talk about. In this one, we're talking a lot about Alan Moore and his Swamp Thing run. And like, hey, if you want to hear more Alan Moore stuff, go listen to that uh, whole podcast we did on Jerusalem and Watchmen. Yeah, foreshadowing, I guess. Uh, and this this seems like the first time of doing these remixes, it really comes apparent in this one that, oh, yeah, this is where I start taking extensive notes on just synopses where I'm picking out details and I have to, like, all right, guys, let's go back and work through the plot. Um, it's something that I noticed in my note-taking got more, a lot more notes and I got more focused on going through plot points maybe than like early on in the ROA but um yeah and I noticed in this one where we're, by now we're kind of like I guess post duet we're all like wait a minute Nana Visitor early on we were kind of like not the nicest to the actor now like she's starting to sing for us just like the performances are coming through I mean this whole episode we're just like hey Chris Farley showing this one like this is pretty great right and even liking it, it's hard to imagine. <laughs> it's hard to imagine being this positive about something uh, for the three of us. But you know, hey, yeah, my I do the Ferengi screaming. My my uh um um, um guys nerddom was a little more obnoxious to me. And uh, we we mentioned they're finally starting to set the seeds for the shipping between Odo and Kira. And we're not as negative about it as we ultimately end up being, but we're just, we're, we know where it ends up. So then we're just more innocent, I guess. And then going back to, to Berman ruining everything by deleting the Dukat fuck scene. This is where I have some questions. Like, it wasn't clear to me eventually going back and hearing James talk about what has happened, whether what got cut was an actual filmed scene or just something in the script. But uh, I went back into Memory Alpha to try to figure out just like in the Michael Pill, everything James said was mostly true, but I guess it was filmed. So if they ever did a Blu-ray uh, cut of this, <laughs> James said he would definitely... Uh, pick it up. I, I don't know if that's true anymore, if he would definitely buy a Blu-ray version of DS9 if it had this additional scene in. But uh, from reading from Ducat, I didn't see where he said he was got to make out with uh, Catherine Moffat all day, that's, but I, let's just say it probably happened. And who cares if it didn't? A bit of a nitpicking detail, but anyway, whatever. I was curious. And then we get to the did Iris Stephen Bear kick Peter Allen Fields off the writing team at the end of the season. Was it like a problem? Uh, since then, since this episode aired, I guess Peter Allen Fields has passed away. He's no longer with us. So I had to, I raised that question that maybe I saw on the internet that Bear kicked him off the team. Uh, I had to look back up to try and figure out where I was getting that kind of rumor. And I think it's just rumor and it's probably not founded in reality. I found one bit of message board on the internet that was like, why did Peter Allen Fields leave Deep Space Nine? And I think it's just conjecture. Because when Peter Allen Fields passed away, it was Iris Stephen Bear that even announced his death and referred to him as a friend. So I think I'm going to go about and say that my uh, conjecture that maybe there was beef there or something they didn't get along, I think, I think I'm wrong on that. I think 
probably Peter Allen Fields just left the show because of that's how writing in LA works. You know, sometimes you're on it, sometimes you're off. They bring on a new showrunner. He might not kick people off, but sometimes people just leave. And I assume that's maybe that's what happened. I won't uh, take this opportunity to call Bear a uh, guy that was threatened by how great Peter Allen Fields was and had to get him off the show. That probably is not true, and it's an unfair rumor, and no one should ever say that. That thing that I probably just started. <laughs> um, yeah. So, that's uh, that's this episode. It was a uh, fun... It's still, yeah, it's weird to go back and listen. Th- this one is probably one of the better episodes. We say it's probably going to be in our top ten for the whole show, and I guess it still holds up. This one holds up. Peter Allen Fields, man. I don't got much to say other than he's pretty great, I think. And we all agree that uh, DS9 is pretty good in this one. All right. Well... Thanks for listening to the remix. Uh, you know, we'll put these out when we put them out. So all sorts of stuff still going on on the Patreon, James and Hugh and I. Uh, and then we got stuff in the works for all this new uh, Star Trek coming out with, uh, you know, Camp Carly Wait, Star Trek Lower Decks. I know people have asked, and it's all been on the air for a little while. Hey, if you're listening to this, I'll let you know that's coming out. So, you know, be aware of all the Kickers of Elves stuff and what we're doing. And... Talk to you later. All right, thanks. Bye. Unlike Kira, I have never taken a life. I have never watched that last gasp of life. Watch it leaving the meat and bone sack of mortal frailty. Recording onto my hard drive that semi-smart unwitting slave of food and shelter and basic survival. Him or her looking into my view screens questioning why it came to me to mercifully end the brutal march of loneliness and depravity. Nope. Never took a life.